Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. Yet another Yellow Jackets edition. Courtney. Courtney Eaton. Hello. Oh, my God. I have so many questions. Okay. Don't stress. I might stress. not have answers. Don't stress. <laughs> Honestly, I'll respect the fact that you don't have answers okay. to some of them because that's a big part of the reason why Lottie is one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. She keeps me on my toes, and this speaks to how good your performance is. Whenever I could think of her mind going one way or the other on something, or maybe even two thoughts existing at once, you justify both, and that's not an easy thing to do. Wow, thank you. Thanks. Job very well done. <laughs> this right here is the most stressful part of Collider Ladies Night. Okay. This is the dice tower. You get three rolls on the tower, and each number corresponds to a random question I have, and oh, that is no. where our conversation begins. Ooh, leaving it up to luck. Yes. Okay, what number? Just like the deck of cards. Cards. I eight. see an eight. Okay, I like eight. Eight is high-low. I want mm. one audition high, but then also one audition low, and what you learn from that low that you are able to apply to future auditions. I have a really good low. Um, I, I, maybe I'll start with high. Um, hmm. I don't know. I think I don't think it's as big as like a special job that I went into, but I think when I was most confident in myself going into the room that I walked out and I was like, oh, I don't remember what happened because I just had fun with it. Um, And the low of that is I was up for um, Star Wars, and I think it was with the Daisy Ridley uh, uh, character, right? And I completely flopped and just had, like, a panic attack halfway through, like, the take, but it kind of worked for the scene, but no one really... I think they could tell that it wasn't acting, and so it just completely did not go well. And I was really young, and I walked out, and, like, normally you call your agents after, and they're like, how'd it go? Tell us everything. What was the vibe? And I'm like, 
it didn't go well. <laughs> and they'd flown me out from Australia, and, yeah, that one, like, haunts me forever. Things like that are meant to be, though, because yeah. if you were involved in that, who knows if your schedule would have been open to to get this opportunity. True. I'm a big believer that all that stuff is meant to be. I, I can't agree. believe how many Ray audition stories I've heard on this show. Really? I feel like the last one I can remember might have been Aza Gonzalez. She was telling me about the same audition. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, like, a crazy one. I ended up, like, crying in front of J.J. Abrams, and I have to, like, bump into him one time and be like, oh, I'm not insane. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so curious, though, because I think that's a really uh, important part of the audition process. Mm -hmm. What did he do when that happened? Were the people in the room there and able to support you so that, you know, I know it was disappointing when you walked out Mm -hmm. of the room, but it could have been worse if they were not receptive and warm about it. No, they were really supportive, and I think they were like, you know, try use it, and we know you're doing it, and we can take a breath, but I do think it was better to keep pushing with it at that time because I think if I had stopped to think about it, I would have imploded a lot more. Um, but, yeah, they were really sweet about it. it. makes me happy to hear that. Yes. And you learn from those things. And then <laughs> then you get stronger and stronger. And then you book stuff like Yellow Jackets, which was yeah. meant for you. <laughs> Next roll in the tower. Hey. Did you get this made? We did. It's so, meant to look like Jurassic I Park. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We are Cute. on to number two. Ooh, I'm so happy. So I believe... I believe all of you have rolled this. I know Samantha and Liv rolled this. So uh-huh. this is survival skills. So you is in real you. You are on a plane. It goes down in the wilderness. I want to know your greatest asset, the thing you bring to the group that will help everybody survive. But then I also want the greatest weakness, the thing about you that will do everybody in. Hmm. My greatest weakness <laughs> seems like a theme today. I'm just like, <laughs> my emotions in my brain, which is why I think I relate to Lottie so much, is probably what would be my undoing out there. And then my strength, I'm good at like looking out and after people. So I think, even just though like I can't, yeah. just like, Lottie. oh my God, yeah. <laughs> so even though sometimes I can't look after myself in the way that I would like to, I could do it for others. Maybe I'd be the little. That like that seems to be where Lottie's at exactly I am right Lottie, now. Just minus the like cult and maybe some of the other things, but <laughs> I'm just, pretty close to. Her. Just because this is coming to mind, because one of my answers to this question is like I would screw everyone over because eventually I'd run out of contact solution and then I wouldn't be able to see. <laughs> I have noticed in the behind the scenes videos that you all have other people putting the contact lenses in for you. Yes, we're not. I don't know if we're actually, like, technically allowed to do it ourselves. Um, Because I asked one time, and they were like, no. But also, they're the big uh, ones that, like, sclera ones. Yeah. Yeah, so they're a bit difficult to put in. But it's always hilarious watching each other get them in, because you're just like, "Uh." Yeah, I don't get nerd. Like, I've been putting contact lenses in since I was 13 years old, and then that video popped up on, like, my TikTok feed or something, and I I said to myself, like, I don't know if I'd be able to let someone else do that to me. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of comfy, and I feel like I'm a person that can, like, touch and mess around with my eye to begin with, so I don't mind the idea of someone else doing it. I don't know. I'm impressed. The, The bloody contacts are incredible looking incredible looking. They're crazy. Every time I would be like talking to... I remember when Liv wore them in the first season after Mm -hmm. the um, wolf attack. I couldn't look them in the eye because I was like, my eyes are watering just looking at you. And then this season I had (laughs) people doing that with me and I was like, just look. You had that and then some. We are going to get to that. One more roll in the tower for you. Three. Three? 
Three is a good one. I actually haven't had the opportunity to ask this to anyone. It's called Scene Swap. If you could role swap with someone else in the ensemble, either timeline, specifically to play one scene, what would it be? Hmm. I think it would either be Shauna or Natalie in either timelines, but specific scenes. I don't know. Mm. I've gotten very hung up on the idea of all I want is some sort of like, I don't know, web-based exercise where the younger versions swap roles with the adult versions and we can just see how things might change. That would be crazy and insane. I I want that too. Um, uh, Scene-wise... I have a scene for you. Okay, give me I, I came up with the answer <laughs> really the quickly. Scene. So if you play adult Natalie, one of my favorite performance beats of Juliet is the, the moment with the uh, cocaine. Like, yeah, that is a fucking amazing that is scene. like a hugely emotional and physical performance, mm-hmm. and I just love seeing people swing big with stuff like that. So, so I'd be do I. Very curious. And I weirdly love scenes like that. Like my other pick was like the birth scene for some reason. Like I just want heavy stuff. <gasps> that is a lot. Yeah. So that old the cocaine scene. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> that episode is something else. I still yeah, I like so many so many crazy things have happened since then. Even, but I still that episode I can't I get know. out of my head. I love how we've all kind of forgot that we ate Jackie in episode two and like <laughs> like that's the least crazy thing that's happened this season. The craziest thing that I've heard in one of these ladies night conversations was someone mentioned to me that while you were shooting the birth scene material that a card got wiped or something and footage yes. was lost and like as though I didn't think that that material was challenging enough to know that something like that happened. Everyone rallied, did it again, and it still came out that good. Yeah, so that's incredible. Did amazing. I, I don't think it was at fault of anyone. I think one of the cards was corrupt. But I remember Sophie and I lived together for the first uh, second season. Um, I remember when we found out we had to reshoot that, and Sophie was like. And I was like, it's okay. Yeah. You did it once. You can do it twice. And this time it's going to be better. And not that you can even do better. Like, she's amazing. Oh, she's, yeah. I'll just say it again because I can. Emmy nomination. Emmy nomination. She's not here so we can say yes, it as much as we want. So she can't, like, freak out. Every time it, anyone brings it up, she just, like, shuts down and is so... Yeah, she's the best. I get it. She deserves the most. I I get it. I get it. So I'm like bringing a question that I like to end with up to the top because it's reminding me of this. So you're actually getting a different First Ladies Night Uh question and not the traditional one. But something I've gotten in the habit of asking a lot lately is for people to tell me about something they did that makes them say to themselves, like, damn, I'm proud of that. Because I feel like we're Mm. we're all really good at giving each other awards, but nobody gives themselves the praise that they might deserve. So whether it's Yellow Jackets or anything you've ever done, what is a scene that you could look back on and say to yourself, I am proud of what I did there? I would say, actually, um, not just a scene, but the whole film. I did a film with Brittany Snow and Thomas Mann Parachute. called Parachute. Yeah, that went to South By. Um, and I have never had, like, that film kind of changed my brain chemistry and, like, my, I don't know. I was, for the first time, really proud of myself. I, like most actors, have a hard time watching Um, my stuff but I think I was just so proud of what everyone did and the message we were doing and and just everything encompassed I felt proud like overall and not and my performance I love hearing that Brittany is a past ladies night guest so I'm always eager to continue supporting any way anywhere (laughs) I can I'm so excited to see that now for the actual first question on ladies night what was the the movie the performance personal experience you had you name it that first made you say to yourself I have to be an actor 
This is crazy um, because I watched some of your uh, ones just to Ooh. prep myself because I get really stressed with like questions <laughs> and not having answers. And this one is interesting because I never, I was really shy as a kid and didn't enjoy acting at school and um, I never wanted to be an actor, but I was really, and still I'm pretty like go with the flow person. If you tell me this, I'll be like, ah, I'll try it out. <clears throat> um, so I don't think I realized I wanted to be an actor until I got on my first film and set and was just like, oh, this is what acting is. It's fun and it's like kind of like a therapy and you get to run around and be weird and no one judges you. So I think, yeah, on Mad Max is the first time. Okay, so I'm backtracking here because I know the, the modeling opportunities came first and I was busy mm -hmm. reading about how um, at Vivian Models you were encouraged to take an acting class to help you with your modeling. So it made me curious about a lot of things. One, what is an acting tool or technique that does in fact help when you're modeling? But then also, is there anything that you learned in that class that made you think like, huh, that might be an avenue for me to pursue too? I think... I can't remember specifically, but I think the acting class came after my first, like, tape I had to do for Mad Max. So I was, I don't know if I was really using it for modeling. It was more in the sense of, I don't know how to act, and if I have to do another tape, I have to have some type of knowledge and skill about it. Um, but I think modeling helps with acting in a way that you aren't so scared of the camera anymore. Uh, like I notice if I haven't shot anything for a while or even done a photo shoot in a while, I'll like clam up and not know what to do. So I think that kind of helped me be comfortable in, in front of the camera and just kind of forget that it's there. Um, but Miles Pollard, who taught that class, was amazing and he helped me do my tapes. And um, yeah, what was the other part of the question? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. That's a good question for me. That was the that was the tools that you were able. To, oh, was there anything you learned in that class, or maybe an exercise you did that showed you that, like, yes, acting is a craft that could be a good thing for me to pursue further? Not necessarily, because I think I don't know if that probably is, but I I didn't haven't analyzed it that much. But I think it just opened something up in me that let me like release in a way. And maybe that was the skill or tool. Here's a better question to get at that. Of all of your earliest opportunities in film, television, whatever, what was the moment on set when I guess you first discovered that acting was a creative itch that you needed to keep scratching, where like you tapped into a character on such a level that you knew you needed to keep chasing that feeling? Yeah, I specifically remember the scene. It was um, in Mad Max when I'm running back to the Warlord. And I'm like screaming and I have makeup like smeared over my face and the girls are chasing after me. And I like hit and tapped into something that day that I was just like, ooh, I think I want to like <laughs> cry on screen forever. <laughs> I don't know. Like, no, that makes it sound sad. But uh, it was really like empowering. Uh, yeah, I think it was that scene. That's but... a very special film. Yeah. <laughs> that was my number one film of 2015. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have watched it more times than I can count. It is a also a one. highly unique production. I have never heard of any other film on this planet being shot that way. So yeah. two-parter on that. What is something about the way Mad Max was shot that now looking back makes you say, I'm so glad my first opportunity was on that set with those people working mm. that way? I think that it was kind of that it was so immersive. We were in the middle of the desert. Everything was shot at speed. A lot of people were, like, um, 
method in a way, not in a, in a way. Um, and it just like was a whole world that I kind of got to live in and it didn't really especially feel like a set. And I was quite young too. I was like 16, 17. Um, but yeah. That's a lot at that age. <laughs> yeah. My God, what I was doing at that age, I couldn't handle that. All right, the uh, the second part of that question. So again, that is a very specific way of making a film. When you went on to your next film, what was like an adjustment or a learning curve where like you thought everything was like Mad Max, but then all of a sudden you realized the production process could be entirely different? I learned real quick that I probably will never have an experience like Mad Max again in the same uh, in the casting aspect in the way we shot it we shot chronologically um we our uh, our prep beforehand we had some of the most random exercises that we did that I don't think any other film would do um but I think what threw me off was shooting in chronological order and that most films oh, don't that's do that. A blessing. Yeah. A blessing. <laughs> yeah. Now, just because I'm curious, what is an example of an exercise that served you well on Mad Max that would not necessarily apply to any other story? Mm, I think George did a really good job of making sure that us as the, as the wives were all connected. Um, and we worked with Eve Ensler and we did like some body movements and just talking and Talk, just sat in a circle and talked about life and being women and I think that really like added a layer to it that was like amazing yeah. I'm like going down a silly route now but <laughs> with with all of those actors on that set that you got to work with if you were in a Yellow Jackets type situation and you could team up with two of them mm. who would you pick that would help you survive out in the wilderness best um, I don't know if they would help me survive best, but Abby Lee, she's like my big sister. Um, we're really close, so 100% her. Um, and then either Charlize, because she's just like a badass, and we'll like... Wait until you see a scene she has in Fast 10. My really? God, it's one of the best fight scenes I've seen in That's quite, I mean. quite some time. Was it uh, Blonde? What's the other? Oh, Blonde, yeah. yeah. Atomic Blonde. Atomic, Atomic blonde. blonde, yeah. So maybe her... Or Nick Holt, because he's just funny, and he's, he's made me laugh. He's so good at he's everything. He's sweet. <laughs> Have you seen the menu? Yes. <laughs> I've got that bird in my brain. Also, because I think that was today's Framed. Do you play Framed? No. It's like a Wordle spinoff where they give you frames of a film, and you get six of them, and like the sooner you guess what the movie is, the better. And I need that. Thankfully, this will run at a later date, so I'm not spoiling Framed for anybody, <laughs> but today the answer was the menu. People are really like protective of Wordle. Like If you ruin it for them... Your life's I get over. it. I, do you play Wordle? <laughs> yeah. I so. play every single day with my mom, and mm-hmm. we have, like, a running document. And, like, we're up to something, like, I guess it's, like, at, like, 150, and she is one, she's beating me, and it's driving me nuts. She is 160 or something <gasps> oh like that. God. But we, we have an ongoing competition. I love Wordle games. I love the, is it the New York Times, uh... Oh no! Are you gonna tell me the something that I'm gonna get game? addicted to? Oh, it's really good. Oh, it, where where it gives you like a whole bunch of words, a letters, whole bunch of letters, and you have, and you have to, to make like words. And stuff. That's very much right uh, up my alley. I am obsessed with that one. <laughs> my yeah. dream game show is to be on Wheel of Fortune. I'd be make it happen. Good at that. <laughs> I did. I sent in an audition form once. And then I missed the email asking me to, like, sign up for the next stage. No! I can just submit again. But I was mad at myself for yeah. having missed it. All right. Let's get into Yellow Jackets full force now. That was your audition story. <laughs> that's, that's my, <laughs> that is my low audition story. And I'll never forgive myself for it. So I know that you originally auditioned for Shauna. So hmm. what was the reaction when you found out that you were going to be cast as Lottie instead? 
I think, weirdly, I knew when I was going in for Shauna that I wasn't actually auditioning for Shauna. Mm. And then, um, one, amazing character, but I can never see anyone else playing it other than Sophie now. (laughs) Like, (laughs) top tier. Uh, All of us. Everyone's, like, perfectly cast. Um, But I went in right after when I put my call back for Lottie, and I did one scene... And it was on theme of Lottie just being kind of creepy, kind of crazy. Huh. And then, yeah, and then I think I got it. And it felt right. I felt like I fit better with Lottie. Okay. So you get that opportunity, then you get the role. At mm-hmm. that point, did you know that when season two came around, you would be up to a season regular? Or did you think there was any chance that season one could be one and done for the character? No, because. Uh, Showtime was really gracious. They offered me a series regular in season one, but because it was my first time doing TV and because I'd come from film, I was. It's daunting to sign your sign on to something for five, six years at least for me at the time. Um, so they were really gracious and let me come on. Uh, later on as a series regular. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. I've never heard, like, I feel like usually we hear about uh, actors wanting wanting the opposite, but I, I very much respect mm-hmm. that. I very much, especially <laughs> when, it's a, when it's a big, ambitious project mm-hmm. to be jumping into. So when you start working on the character of all the scenes in season one, which do you think helped define Lottie? For, I know things change, but at mm. that point, which helped define Lottie for you the most, where, you know, every scene that you shot after that, you could always refer back to that particular scene to kind of ground you in a way it's weirdly the pilot Lottie's not in the pilot that much but there's a scene where she's just sitting in the her empty house and her maid comes and gives her her medication beside the medication that isn't what kind of draws me back to her but like that emptiness and sadness, but also, like, s- comfort she has in herself, weirdly. That's always, like, the root of Lottie, I feel like. If I think about her, I just kind of see her sitting at that table. I have so many questions. <laughs> I'm going to start to dip into theory questions, but first okay. I'll, I'll build off that that grounding element, especially when you're looking at season two and, you know, maybe some knee-jerk decisions she makes, maybe mm. some, some changes in how she feels about the wilderness. Do you have to have some sort of anchor or guiding light so that every choice she makes, even if she's changing her mind on things, still feels like it's based in some sort of consistent truth for her? That was a question. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like it feels honestly like a near impossible question to really answer Mm -hmm. for you, especially because you know without her without her medication, the fact that she's uh, she's someone who doesn't really feel confident in herself too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with Lottie, I kind of take it each scene. It might sound like a cop out answer, but it's intuitively. I just know when I stand there heading into the scene I'm like oh this is the way it should go and maybe the writers will come and be like lean more this way lean more that way because they know things I don't know Um, but I think if I thought about I don't know I don't know how to explain where I I, how I know what Lottie is supposed to do or like what her goal is in those moments but I just know that's it like she's Honestly, I feel like that is the right answer for a character like this. Otherwise, mm-hmm. she 
otherwise she doesn't work and she can't she can't be so many things at once and you can't justify certain opinion changes that we get this season. Yeah, I can't make her one thing or lean one way or the other because then she loses her magic. One of the best things about Lottie is that she, one, is this amazing character, but two, she kind of portrays this idea in the show and this symbolism um, that, so it's it's that and a human brain colliding. Yes. I, I just love the fact that we all first got obsessed with the symbolism of it all and the supernatural of it all, and now this season is making sure, like, do not forget she is a human being, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And that's driving a lot of her actions. All right, these are my, my theory questions. Oh. So it's a little more like your own personal backstory. It does not have to be canon. But I did, mm. I asked these to Liv recently, and it made me curious your answers for Lottie, Liv's great too. great backstory. My God. That Liv was, is just the smartest human. The second they said that, I'm like, oh. Uh-oh. Like, I got a lot for you. <laughs> oh, no. Um, here's the first one, though. What do you think Lottie misses about home the most, if anything at all? Hmm. I don't know if she misses that much. I don't think she wants to be in the wilderness, but I think she has a hard time with her family and relating, and I think it's a pretty empty household and relationship there. I think she's someone that, like, has friends at school, but there may be surface level. I don't think she has, like, a true best friend. Um, I don't know. I feel like she might just miss, like, I don't know if she has any animals, but, like, I, I see her in, like, green and walking around. Trying to file away for a question for the very end now (laughs) that that just made me think of. What about, oh, actually, the other thing I was just thinking about is it feels like all of the main characters are in that same situation where I don't know if anyone would have a a good answer for what they miss about home Mm. most. But I love this season. We got more scenes with Akilah, and she's the first person that I've really expressed longing for any specific thing Mm -hmm. about home and, like, wanting to go back to experience more of that thing. I thought Mm -hmm. that was a beautiful moment. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, uh, her bringing up her backstory and being like, That's literally the first time that I've thought of Mm -hmm. that. Um, What about Lottie's future? What do you think it would have held for her had the plane never gone down? Hmm. I think Lottie would have found her footing and become independent and maybe started to rely on herself a lot more. Um, I think she would have found a friend or a partner that, like, brought out the best in her. Um, And I think, like, I think her hitting college would have been, like, her coming into her true self. That's such a beautiful answer. I think, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like happiness in some area later on. Yeah, so... I love how much faith you have in her, having, like, a bright future. That makes me happy. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, now back to, to some of the darkness here. This is another thing that's that's more theory. I don't know if you've really thought about mm-hmm. it, but let's let's just say Lottie never ran out of her pills, that there was some sort of like magical replenishing happen. Mm-hmm. How do you think her experience in the wilderness and how she behaved and how she worked with the group group might have changed? That's a really good question. Because I'm not always thinking about the medication aspect of it. I don't know how she would do if she was still on them. Because in my brain, or at least the way I talk with the writers and the and Bart and Ashley, is that she walks that line of like, did she, is she um, does she have a power? Does she have? Is it just trauma, or is it? that she actually has some mental health, uh, something going on. So I don't know how she would go. I don't think it would be good still. I don't I don't either. Yeah. My, my big theory on that is I think it would have been kind of like a recreation of where she fits in in, in like the social group in mm-hmm. – in the pilot episode where, like, she she's a, an important part of the group, but mm-hmm. she doesn't step up necessarily in any yeah. way. I think so, too. And that wouldn't serve anybody. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that some of these things serve the group well, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So we already t- touched on the, the distrust that she has in herself. Have mm. you ever considered where that might have come from? Is that something that she's just naturally been carrying with her all along? Or, you know, I was thinking a little bit about, about the flashback, and I think her, her mother believes that she helped save them, but her father doesn't. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? I think it's partly like her environment with her parents, but I think it stems from her someone that like doesn't really feel like feel like they belong or maybe have anxiety or depression or some type of mental health. I feel like it's funny. I had a therapist one time be like, "You talk about your brain like it's like not part of you or it's like your enemy." Um, not in a sad way. No, I but get it. I get it. I think that's kind of where. Lottie sits with her brain and herself. She can give herself to other people and she's very open and big to like, she's an empath. But yeah. <laughs> so much of what you just described. She sounds descri- so depressed. She's she, not- <laughs> I mean, well, like, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a very common thing to be able to talk other people up, but talk yourself yeah. down. Like, I, like, People always say, like, speak to yourself as you would to other people. Mm-hmm. And I know it can be very difficult to do that. It's a really hard thing to do, but I think it is really empowering when you do do it. But I don't think Lottie's found that yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The uh, the wilderness sound now. This is, this is very, it might be overly specific, another thing you might not have thought of. But have you ever considered what the wilderness might actually sound like in her head? Or if it's not actually a literal sound, what it might feel like to her? I feel like I know what the feeling of it is because sometimes in scenes, even in like the prayer circle, and I'm talking everyone through the prayer slash meditation thing, um, I don't know, I f- it's like a calming wash, I feel like. I like that. 
<laughs> Which is funny because the wilderness doesn't seem like it would be a calming sensation of uh, everyone since it just kind of seems to be wreaking havoc. I feel like in such a volatile situation like that, though, having any guidance, even if you're not certain of its intentions, mm-hmm. can come with a calming quality. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm starting to jump into episodes of season two now. This this is another very specific uh, moment here. But one of my absolute favorite things is to overanalyze private moments, especially in an mm. ensemble show like this. And one of the only ones we really get with Lottie where she at least speaks out loud is when she is doing the hunting competition with Natalie and mm. she comes up to the tree and she touches the symbol and she says, fuck, fuck me. me. <laughs> yeah. What does that fuck me mean to you in the moment for her? In that moment, I think it was stemming from how did she get herself into this situation? She doesn't really want to be here, and she has all this pressure now as she's been put in a position to lead, and going back to the distrust, she doesn't think that she can really do that. She's trying her hardest, but I think she's just getting tired of it. And there were little scenes, I don't know if, I don't think they made them, but there's little scenes here and there, and I talked with Jasmine about this, Um, when we were talking through a scene one day and she was like, sometimes it's not like the big idea of what's happening in the scene. Sometimes I just think into the aspect of like, my character's just pissed off with that one today. Doesn't want to be in like a room with her. Um, Hmm. So I think it was kind of stemming from that, that that day was just really hard for her. She didn't want to be in this position. She has Mari speaking on her behalf, being like, she doesn't need a gun. She doesn't need this. (laughs) She's just like, all right. And she is kind of a bit of a pushover in a way that she was like, okay, let's just go do this and make it run. My heart breaks for Lottie. It's not fair. And this is why I'll fight to the end of the day when everyone was like, she's evil. She's got bad intention. I'm like, Lottie does everything from the best place she's trying to give her heart to everyone it might not come across in the right way sometimes but she's always well-intentioned i think hearing you like imitate mari there and then me thinking about the conversation she has with misty in the finale it's just shattering Mm -hmm. my heart all over i am going to get to that specifically (laughs) i have to talk about the shauna lottie fight Mm. first first of all do you think that lottie when she agrees to that ever in a million years thought it could go that far to the point that she would be on the brink of death I think Lottie did know. Um, maybe. No, I think I do think Lottie knew it was going to get to that point. I think that's why um, she's been seeing it build up and and just the reaction of the whole group. That it's not even just Shauna; it's the whole group kind of needs this. Um, and I think Lottie knows that, and also Lottie has her own guilt. So I don't think she especially. I think she was slightly asking to be, like, punished in a way as well as another layer of taking it for the group. (laughs) Oh, God. That's such a harsh reality for her. My God. I guess guess the the next stage of that question would be, like... Let's say Lottie, after the fight with Shauna, having realized what they had done to Javi in her absence, do you think if she had the opportunity, she would go back in time and handle the Shauna situation differently? Whoa. Mm. It's hard, though, because I don't think... Oh, because it sets off a chain of events, too. Yeah. I think she would try it, but I think it would still end up in the same result, 
even if she did like go back and change something. There's no hope for Javi. There's no hope There's for Javi. There's no hope Javi. for any of them right now. That like <laughs> mindset on that desperation is too strong that I don't think if we change one thing it would change that much. It might change who who died, but my head just spins with the supernatural, like, sound of the wilderness conversation of it all. Because I mm-hmm. went through all of season one saying to myself that, no, the point of this show is that they think it's some sort of, like, higher power. And it's going to be revealed that it was actually just, you know, human, like, manipulation and evil. And, mm-hmm. and nothing else was really going on. And then certain things happen. And I'm like, how do you explain the bear? I know. This is also me, too, because I agreed with you. I agree with you about first season. And then going into, yeah, second season and things that happen, I'm like, mm, ah, should I be playing it a certain way? Is it something? Have you all tried to figure out the cards? I know not, you're not involved in, the, in that playing card scene, but, mm-hmm. like, in terms of what everybody gets. Oh, I heard that the cards were specific oh, yes. and written. Um, but... No, but I saw a theory because um, originally in the first season when we're playing cards, no one, there's no, someone makes a comment yeah. that there's no queens in it. And I saw a thread the other day that <laughs> Harvey's the one that I brings know. it back. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Who pulls what cards? Sorry, that's a big memory I, question. It, it is, and I messed it up in Liv's interview, and it's still making me mad. But I know they pulled the the Jack of Hearts. I feel like I can repeat some of them, because I was also sitting there writing out all the cards in that episode. And then there's also, like, a million cards chosen in the oh, finale. And I was mm-hmm. trying to, like, compare to see. Like, I started to think that, like, maybe, maybe it's the spade that's the death card. But then that didn't really work out when I looked at the full list. Yeah, it's interesting, the card thing, because I remember when we were doing press, too, there were images that were going to go out, so don't hate me, Showtime, <laughs> they didn't end up using them, but of each of us on specific cards. And, interesting. Uh, or, like, tarot cards, kind yeah. of. Um, but people had numbers or jokers and queens and stuff, so... Mm. I am intrigued with that, too. That's curious. <laughs> Maybe it plays into the theories of, like, everyone being like, it's, uh, what's everyone saying that with the symbol? That is, like, a mathematical equation. Oh. Wait, I, have, I have two silly questions. Like, I don't have a piece of paper, so I can't put you to the test. But uh-huh. could you draw the symbol right now? Like, if yeah. I had asked? You can? Yeah. Okay. Because I had to learn it for a scene, and I feel like it's, yeah, I could draw it. Like, I can picture it so clearly, but then I tried to draw it. I'm like, that looks nothing like what Mm -hmm. it does in the show. (laughs) This is silly. Can anyone in this ensemble shuffle a deck of cards? Uh, I can really well. I don't. We haven't really played many card games. That <laughs> Every time they shuffle for, for like, like the death roulette, they're like, I'm like, no. They should put me there's and a, do the whole like. <laughs> there's, there's a more effective way to do it. I promise you all. All right. Let's get into uh, the finale specifically. And I'll go straight to the conversations between Misty and Lottie because I feel like the way Misty talks mm. to Lottie, like Lottie's had some people push back, but not with that same kind of authority and force. Mm. What was it like finding the right tone for that? conversation with Samantha and the right way for Lottie to take hearing that type of thing. Yeah, it was an interesting scene because I'm still covered in prosthetics. So there's like the physicality that also comes with it, which brings like a a weakness and puts her already at below Misty kind of that she can't physically fight back or and I don't think she's 100% in her 
right mind either. She was having fevers the night before. But, yeah, I mean, Samantha's, like, magnificent in the way that she plays Misty. She's so uh, I, I mean, everyone, I, every character, I don't think anyone else could play them as well as Olau Cost do. But, yeah, Misty, I mean, uh, Sam just I has, like... all the yeah. time. I, I am shocked I does. have not called you Lottie at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only time I did it at the junket where... Was with uh, was with Tawny, where I meant to say Thais, and I might have said Tawny, or the opposite. And I'm like, at least it only happened once. It <laughs> happens on set all the time. They're like, Quinny, bloody, uh. um, but yeah, she has this real strength that I just think comes from Misty being so underestimated. Um, she knows her own power too, which is interesting that she uses it in such a way. She she holds on to it as a secret almost, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the the dynamic with Misty and Lottie I think is something that's probably going to be a bit more played out later oh, on. <laughs> I am so curious about yeah. that. She's another one that was difficult to come up with questions mm-hmm. for because on the surface she might be doing one thing, but I know deep down the intentions are somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the next, one of the next scenes, at least after the attic conversation, it's when mm-hmm. like Lottie admits to the group that she never wanted to be a leader and she basically convinces them that the wilderness wants someone else to be the leader. Mm. In that moment when you're playing a scene like that, how much do you think Lottie believes that that truly is the case, that the wilderness said it is time for another leader and that ne- leader needs to be Natalie versus her having heard what Misty just said and knowing the influence of her voice and maybe trying to manipulate the group by convincing them that they need to take the attention away from her voice and her power as leader? Interesting. Yeah, I always had it in the back of my mind as a slight little secret that Lottie was done being leader and kind of just wanted to pass it off to someone else. Um, And a way of doing that was saying that it is the wilderness. But I do think with Lottie, it's always two ideas at the same time. It's half and half. Like, I think it's half that and then half. She does think the wilderness maybe chose her. Um, yeah. It's always a little of both. No, I get it. I get it. All right. I'm moving on to the scene with uh, Juliet on the plane mm. now. I'm really I'm really curious about how you play a scene like that because I feel like whenever we see a character have, you know, a dream or a vision, the other people that they see might be more so representations of, of like, their projections and how they envision them. So when you're playing Lottie in that particular scene, how much is, like, your true Lottie versus what Natalie might be seeing at the moment? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think there is a slight shift, but I don't know if I'm consciously thinking of that. Um, but she is a softer, like, the best version of Lottie that she could be talking to Juliet. Oh, that's curious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so my follow-up to that would be one of her lines is, Natalie, it's not evil, just hungry like us, just let it in. So. When you mm. deliver a line like that, even if it's something that winds up changing down mm. the line, do you have to have, I guess, any sort of understanding in what her actually doing that would do to her? Like what letting it in would feel like if if that's rest or if there's something more sinister involved? Yeah, I don't know. I thought about this line a lot and I had a bit of trouble with it when we were doing 
the scene because I was like, I don't know what I'm saying, and the, no one's going to tell me what the meaning behind it is. Um, but was what was the second half to that question? I think it was uh, just. If you need to know, if you oh, need mm-hmm. to know the results of Natalie taking her up on that advice by doing that, no, I, I, I think with this show you can't always try figure out what the result is, and and I kind of just go by what the feeling is in that moment, what like that question might bring up in me, more so than trying to figure it out. Because if you try figure it out, you're going to throw yourself too far left or right mm-hmm. and then you're gonna have to backpedal if you were wrong you all have your work cut out for you <laughs> on this show it's like it's hard enough to i feel like that's one of the things about tv that fascinates me in a way that's different from film mm-hmm. it's like film you get the full script you know your character's full arc like not only do you not get that in tv but in this show in particular like a game-changing thing could happen later on that completely redefines a scene you already played 100 percent. yeah i think that was part of my hesitation with signing on for tv because i was like I I might like where the character is now, but I don't have any control of where exactly. she goes. But within the first couple of episodes of the first season, I was like, oh, sign me up for life. Like, you, I love this character. You're in very good hands. Yeah. So this is, uh, like, a little more theory territory again. But the last line of, of season one for her, shed the blood, my beautiful friends, and let the darkness set us free. What do you think she meant by that in season one, and how might she reinterpret or redefine that statement at the end of season two? I th- I think they're completely flipped now. For season one, it was coming from a, a place where I think they're in complete chaos and... and God, <laughs> I think now that that version of that line is a lot darker and maybe for all of them, but maybe it's directed at the people around her, less so than her being involved. I think the first time she said that line included her, maybe the second time she's uh, in the second half of it is she doesn't count herself as part of that anymore. Okay. I don't uh, know. I like, <laughs> no, I, I like that thread. That's, that is truly how I kind of interpreted it, too. I'll ask you two, two more questions before we wind this down, kind of jumping off that point a little. At the end of season two, what do you think Lottie thinks her greatest strength is and her greatest weakness is? Who? At the end of season two, I'm not sure if Lottie thinks she has a great like a a greatest skill um I think she feels that she's done damage not intentionally um and then her biggest downfall probably also that oh god my heart for her I know in the finale she didn't mean it I think she's just like has no idea where she stands. Like in the last shot where it's um, all of them standing watching the thing, you I, you just see her laughing. I don't think she really knows what to do. She's like, burn. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. That is so dark. Yeah. But I love it. I love I, it. Yeah, <laughs> all, you, all your interviews with us, 
just been like dark pretty, as hell. Oh, pretty much. <laughs> I feel like I feel like also I was especially taken aback by that with with Liv because Van starts with with so much mm-hmm. light in her, and you could and it's true what they say in the show actually happens. So over the course of it, you see a dimming and dimming and dimming, mm-hmm. and it's it's heartbreaking to watch yeah. something like that happen. All right. This might be a more positive question to finish on okay, then. I'll try. Of all of the characters that are left in the 90s timeline, who do you think Lottie would have the most to gain from if she spent more time with that person in season three? Shona or Natalie. Okay. For different reasons. Shona, I think, would give her a sense of strength and I think she would find comfort in her Shauna is a character that doesn't speak often but when she does she has something important to say she's a watcher and I think I think Lottie appreciates that um, and then Natalie I think Lottie admires how truly herself she is um so life lesson wise, I think those two. But I also feel like I don't know. I feel a weird tie between the three of them. I don't know what that means. Okay. And maybe in season three something will happen. I don't know. That just seems like something that they're dancing around with each other. Okay. Okay. I don't I'd, know. I'd believe that. I'd be curious <laughs> to explore that more. I could go on and on with this show. I am obsessed. You are phenomenal in it. I, I seriously mean that. The fact that you are able to keep me on my toes but justify everything Lottie thinks, does, and says is not an easy task. So <laughs> congratulations on Yellow Jackets and Thank everything you. you've accomplished. And you got to come back for season three. Thank you. Yes, please. <laughs> I, I just want to say you are, like, one of my favorite interviewers. You, like, I, every time I watch your interviews, you make people, like, drop walls and open up and... Uh, you don't see that very often in this type of thing. So, and you ask amazing questions that, like, stump me. <laughs> I love how I tell everybody to say something good about their own work, and I am just absolutely yeah, shit at taking like, a compliment. Ah. I'm like, I don't know what to say now, so I'll say thank I you. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.